0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by escapemaker.com. Visit a farm, escape through the net. Visit escapemaker.com for more.
2: Scholars and food enthusiasts that examines the connections between food and science. Anne is working towards a Ph.D. in food studies at NYU. She sits on the boards of the Association for the Study of Food and Society and the Culinary Trust, and on the James Beard Foundation Awards Committee. She also writes about food and co-authors books. She is a busy lady, so welcome, Anne.
1: Thank you, Sherry.
2: So, uh, I haven't seen you in a long time.
1: that <laughs> it's been about 20 hours.
2: <laughs> I know, I know, I missed you. Uh, yeah, we just got back from the... The Beard Foundation Awards in Chicago, and we will talk about that later in the show. It was awesome. It was great. So now let's talk about your career and uh, how, you, how you got into all of these amazing titles and jobs. Because so I know you, you're from Switzerland.
1: I am from Switzerland, and I got into what I do now sort of by chance. Uh, I went to college for journalism, and then when I graduated, I didn't necessarily know. I wanted to be a war reporter for the AP initially. Really? Uh Uh-huh, and life kind of took a different turn, and um, I ended up applying to jobs in uh, travel and food editing and uh, for both magazines and uh, publishing houses, book publishing. And I got a job at a book publishing company. And then I wanted to go back to school, and that's when I found the food studies program at NYU. And it's in writing my application essay that I realized how much... Food had been part of my life. My grandfather uh, father, on my father's on my mother's side, was a farmer, um, so we spent almost every weekend on the farm with him. And on my dad's side, my grandmother is a super traditional French cook who goes to the market every week and would take me with her when we'd visit. She makes soie gras terrines and um, you know goes to the fish market in Boulogne and things like that. So um, was at, and my mom is a very adventurous cook. The tagine would be a frequent. Um, holiday meal, for example. It was a British plum pudding as dessert. So I grew up in a very food-centric environment, but it was so part of our everyday lives that it just never really mattered. It, it didn't raise in importance until it was time to go back to grad school.
2: Wow. I didn't know any of that. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so you went to school in the States? I went to college in Louisiana, yes.
2: Ah. Yeah.
1: Spend so much time with you and I am doing know any
2: <laughs> of this. Okay. It's good. I'm learning. Okay, so you were... I was in the food studies program. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I I would love to go back and finish my degree, but I started it and I loved it. Um, so after food studies, what
1: what job did you? So do? my my first job was um, as a cookbook editor. I got really lucky. It was uh, I was doing cookbooks and travel books. So basically, straight out of college. Um, and then from that, I had a brief stint in restaurant uh, PR, which is how I met François Payard, with whom I've written books since. And then I went to work at the Institute of Culinary Education, um, where I was doing communications. And from then, I, uh, a couple of years later, I went back to... Oh, I, I, switch from the master's to a phd program in food studies and at that point i started teaching so a uh, freelance life was just much better because i needed to be teaching during the week and do research and um it was yeah so that's how i started doing freelance work and i stayed at the at ice for seven years um total in uh, as a freelancer and then went to cia
2: freelancer doing what 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 was your role
1: i did their newsletter so f- uh, for the, their publishing newsletter three times a year with all of the recreational classes so i did all of the course descriptions for that um interviews with alumni students prominent chefs and experts in the industry an article or two every time
2: and then that's how you knew rick smilo too which exactly. is a book you co-authored right yes
1: we wrote a book called culinary careers together um where uh, for that I interviewed about 120 culinary professionals, 80 some who made it into the book um, about their uh, their jobs, how they got to their jobs. There uh, things like salary information, uh, education, what people wish they had known or they knew now, etc. So that was amazing because it really uh, one big realizations when writing the book and doing all these interviews was how much how passionate everyone that I was talking to was. And that was just really, um, I mean, it was backbreaking to to write the book but it was so stimulating and such a source of positive energy because people were so excited and happy no matter how long they had been in the industry no matter how little money they made i mean even at the very top often in the food industry if you worked if you worked in another field and you had that same position you'd be making a lot more money or your life would be maybe a little bit easier you'd have more assistance or uh, more support networks and that did not matter to any of the people um, it, it, what mattered is that they were day in and day out doing something they were so passionate about. So that was a great lesson.
2: Yes, absolutely. So then when did you
1: join the CIA? About three and a half years ago. um, I was doing research for my PhD at the CIA, um, going through their archives in the library, looking at all of the... uh, Uh, the material published since they opened in 1946, since it was founded in 1946. And through that, I met the CIA president, Tim Ryan, and um, we were talking, um, and he knew of my ambivalence at that point about whether or not to get into a traditional academic track once I finished my PhD. And um, they, about a year later, they had a job open, which is the job that I have now, um, which was created around that time. And uh, he thought I would be good for it and interested in it. And indeed, when I got the job description, it was pretty much a dream job. And uh, it's proven to be that since. It seems like a dream job. So what,
2: as director, what, what exactly do you do what is the job? What is that job description?
1: So I um, organize the culinary conferences that the CIA has. There are about eleven or twelve conferences in total, uh, some of which focus on health and wellness issues. Uh, and then I work on Worlds of Flavor, which is our flagship conference that has uh, it's been existing for seventeen years, and it r- focuses on world uh, on, on flavors from all over the world, cuisines, ingredients. Um, and so for that, my job is to. Um, develop about 50 different sessions for the duration of the conference, work with, we just had it a couple of weeks ago, we had about 80 presenters. Um, so it's finding the ta- the talents, um, finding the chefs, finding the uh, and, and, and experts, uh, and then crafting the sessions, crafting the program. And I do that for um, Worlds of Flavor, another conference we have called Rethink Food, which we just started last year in connection with the MIT Media Lab on innovation in food technology behavior and design Um, so that's a little bit more that's less chef centric as it is it's much more of an innovation centric so we have chefs participate in a program for example Christopher Costa or Daniel Patterson last year but they're not doing demos, or talking more about their philosophies and how they think about the future of food and what we eat and how that impacts what they do and then I also work on one called Flavor Summit which we used to do in partnership with Food Arts when the magazine was in existence uh, focusing on the hospitality industry and that's very trend driven what are the latest trends in Um, uh, cooking in design in restaurant design um, hospitality beverages things like that and then we have another conference called menus of change coming up in june on sustainability i'm planning to go great i look forward to seeing you there (laughs) and it's the first conference we have at hyde park actually at the main campus just a couple of hours from here
2: yes because embarrassingly i have not been up there to hyde park so this is this is going to get me there
1: And you should make sure to stop at the uh, Apple Pie Bakery in addition to the great restaurants on campus. But the Apple Pie Bakery is just one of those jewels of the Hudson Valley with amazing, amazing pastries and breads you would never think is done by students day in and day out. So I I recommend that. Done. (laughs) Done. It's on my list. So for that, I work on um, booking the chefs for the culinary sessions part. And then we also publish a report. So I work on the editorial part of it.
2: I'm getting tired listening to all of this. I don't know how you do it all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. I didn't realize the Worlds of Flavor conference had that many speakers and sessions. I, I thought it was a smaller. A smaller no, there one. are about
1: 700 people who attend. Um, and it is, uh, there, I think, something like 13, 14 general sessions and 40 some breakout sessions. I would love to go, maybe next year, you should, because this is in Napa, correct, yeah, so just going to Napa is a great reason to come to World
2: absolutely
1: the <laughs> yeah so who who were some of the chefs involved this year? um we had a um a big delegation from Japan, um Shinobu Namae, who is in tokyo um chef Harizawa, also from tokyo um We had um, chefs from Korea, a chef from China, uh, and then chefs from all over the U.S., people like Fushia Dunlop, um, as an expert on Chinese cuisine. We focused on Japan, China, Thailand, the Philippines, Singapore, uh, Indonesia. We had Will Goldfarb, actually, from Indonesia, formerly from Brooklyn, who was from New York, (laughs) was one of the first hosts here on the Heritage Radio, and... um, Uh, So we we were looking at the the impact of the rise of uh, Asian cuisines uh, throughout the world, basically, from a little bit of a historical perspective, but looking at how, um, you know, we had, for example, again, Christopher Costa of the restaurant at Meadowood talking about some of the influences that at a restaurant like his um, Japan has played, for example.
2: It's it sounds really fascinating. I do want to go,
1: but typically, who, who are the attendees? Is it chefs? It's chefs. It's, uh, it's, so it's it, all of the CIA's programs are for uh, industry professionals. We don't the our, my, the division that I work in. We don't work on anything for consumers. Um, so it's chefs. It's people in R and D. People in marketing. Um, corporate chefs. Independent chefs. Um, just a slew of uh, food people of all walks of lives.
2: Great. Well, I'm going to put it on my calendar. You should. <laughs> Everyone should. Everyone should in the industry. Everyone in the industry. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a little break here, come back, talk more with Anne, So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
3: EscapeMaker.com, a guide to local getaways, is offering a two-night farm escape that includes lodging, a visit to an apiary, wine tasting at a vineyard, and a special tour of Bubbling Dairy and Bakehouse in Milford, New Jersey. Transportation is included. For details, visit escapemaker.com or come by the Bubbling Dairy stand at the new open-air Fulton Stall Market on Front Street in the South Street Seaport District. Located where New York City's public food markets began in the 1800s, Fulton Stall Market is open weekends 10 to 5 and is the first farmer's market in the city to offer ready-to-eat foods made by the farmers who produce them, along with a radio station, live music, and cooking workshops for families. Now offering spring flowers and plants, organic vegetables, pizza made in a wood-burning oven using farm ingredients, local fruit preserves, yogurts, and ice cream, and Bobolink Dairy's famous artisanal cheese and breads. The market is a great reason to rediscover the authentic seaport. For more information, visit FultonStallMarket.com.
2: Hi, welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Anne McBride. She is the Culinary Program and Editorial Director for the Strategic Initiatives Group at the Culinary Institute of America. And she is the Director at Experimental Cuisine Collective... Which I'm now going to refer to as ECC because I get a little tongue-tied saying that. So, <laughs> uh, So, so Anne, this the ECC. What is it? What's the concept behind it? Uh, and uh, what's your role as the director?
1: Uh, it's an organization that we started in 2007 um, at NYU as a partnership between the food studies program, the chemistry, uh, sorry, the the food studies department, the chemistry department, and Will Goldfarb, uh, who had room for dessert at the time. And um, a chemistry professor and a food studies professor wrote a grant to do something um, together. It was an interdisciplinary grant that NYU was offering um, for collaborations among fields. And so they thought that science and food would make a really interesting connection. That's when Herbitis' book on molecular gastronomy first came out in English. It was all around that time. Um, that's when, I mean, Will was doing a lot of that. People like Sam Mason at WD15 Pastry. Um, Johnny Usini there, there was a big movement at the time, really... Um, uh, led by Wiley Dufresne also in terms of looking at the connections between science and food um, and working with scientists, developing those types of collaborations. So we we planned this as a one-day conference and there was so much enthusiasm that we decided to keep going with monthly meetings and we've been meeting almost monthly. These, these days it's a little bit less. We're We've all done it for near for eight years as a side gig <laughs> on a volunteer basis. Yeah, and, that's um, like. yeah exactly. <laughs> so we've had a little bit fewer meetings, but we meet every month with a different expert um, to talk about issues related to science and or uh, and food. Uh, sometimes together, sometimes completely separate. Um, so we just had, for example, last week, um, a professor at Yale, the director of the Yale Sustainability Food Program, Mark Bumford, with two uh, the two founders of Exoprotein, um, Greg uh, Sewitz and, and Gabby Lewitz, who, and w- we talked about insect consumption and production, so sustainability issues around that, nutritional issues, um, issues of disgust and acceptance. Um, so That doesn't necessarily have an immediate science connection, but it is about these collaborations. And and one thing that we're able to do there is we have a very, very diverse audience. Um, And I always tell our speakers to speak at a really high level and just take questions. So it's much more of an ongoing conversation. And so we're able to talk about insect consumption beyond going. Uh, you know, beyond um, the sort of fear factor of it or the uh, the gimmicky part of it, and and have a really interesting, in-depth conversation with experts on the topic. So that's an example.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry, I missed that one because I, well, I met the EXO guys at the Roots conference and uh, had their bars, ate some ate some bugs. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I'm a did fan. you like it? <laughs> I did. And they're so young. I mean, they came up with the idea. In college. In college, exactly. You know, it's um, impressive. Mm-hmm. So I have to try to make it to next
1: one because these are held. These are all held in in New York. They're all held at NYU. We have a space there in the chemistry department, um, and uh, we're doing one for uh, another one in June with uh, someone who is coming from Penn, uh, who is a postdoc fellow working on the history of the, f- the chemistry of flavor for example. So that's someone who is, you know, very much from a chemistry background, but looking at issues that are of huge interest for food people. Great. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And that's in partnership with the culinary historians of New York. So we like also doing, um, those types of Ah. collaborations the collaboration isn't just in a room it's often also outside of it
2: right and that's linda palacio she's involved and she has a heritage radio network show love linda
1: great show (laughs) great woman
2: yes she is so what do you what do you enjoy most about working with chefs and culinary personalities and and what are the challenges of booking all of these chefs
1: well, I'll just get the challenges out of the way. Um, the The challenges is that I work, or, you know, I try to work with people and reach people who have very, very busy agenda. I mean, never mind how busy and how much work it takes to run a restaurant or multiple restaurants in many cases, but um, chefs are so solicited these days to be on, whether it's radio shows, conferences. I mean, I'm one of many people who reach out to them to put them on on various programs. So that's a big challenge, um, getting into their calendar, sometimes just getting an answer. Um, and uh, the other challenge is often because they're so busy also getting their recipes uh, within hour <laughs> deadline. So, those are the challenges, but I can deal with that. Um, I don't care as long as someone delivers when they're on stage, and that's what really matters the part of my job is to be dealing with those challenges so that the audience gets an amazing experience and the chefs once they do uh, arrive whether it's at the CIA or um at NYU they have amazing experiences and they, they get something out of it that's hugely important for me that um it's not just you come in you do your demo and you're only giving I want people to also be able to receive and, and get something from the exchange. Um, So the rest is all the good parts, really. It's getting to work with people who are so inspirational, who work so hard, who are so passionate about what they're doing, who love it so much, um, who take risks day in, day out. I mean, I sit at my desk for the big part of my days, and that's not necessarily being a risk taker. Um, So... Being so inspired by people who uh, really have taken chances are entrepreneurial, have started their own businesses, restaurants, et cetera, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a huge, huge fuel.
2: Yes, I'm getting inspired listening <laughs> to you. <laughs> so last week I had on Marissa Ain, the founder and CEO of Plate and & Decanter, and I asked her to ask you a question. So she would like to know, who would you like to have in one of your workshops who you haven't had on already and why?
1: That's a really hard question because however many people I do get to work with every year, there's so many more. And uh, because I'm fortunate to have a pool from around the world, I can pick. Um, I, I would love to do... So uh, there, there's an easy answer. Andonia Doris of Mugaritz. He's someone that I just find absolutely amazing. His food is the food that really moves me, um, and so that you know that would be an amazing experience to get to work with him. But a, a sort of bigger answer is I would really love to, um, and we, you know we've talked about it so hard to do an, a conference on African cuisines uh, because there's so much richness there. Um, however great the culinary world here. Uh, in this country is it's not a very diverse world. So I would like to be able to do things that bring a little more diversity to the picture. Um, But it's very hard to find an audience because it is our audience is a trade audience. Um, They need to have to find applications to what they're doing. And there just aren't yet that many African restaurants or um, even menu items on restaurants uh, that would make it I think people would be really interesting in that would they spend the money and the time to come to a conference it might be a little tricky yet so but I really hope that that's something we can do sooner rather than later and just you know bring some light bring some talent from Africa show the the diversity of the continent. North African cuisine is very popular and very well known and South Africa is also a place where a lot of people go for gastronomic tourism but what's happening in between is what's I'm most interested in telling I'm, in, learning I'm about, intrigued. Yeah, exactly, I mean, I don't even know. So I want to I want to learn and then I want to bring that here. I I have a feeling
2: this is going to happen at Hopefully. some point. At some, some point, Polly. <laughs> That's great. Well, well, Marissa also asked if you want to host a food conference with her and if so, call her.
3: All right. Thanks,
0: Marissa.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, um so there, Thank you, you you can plan that with her. That's great. <laughs> now, another thing you do and I've seen you on as a moderator on lots of panels. So how did that come about? Just from from being a part of these conferences?
1: Um, yeah, I think so. I don't. I frankly don't remember exactly um, the first panel or whatever that I did. Um, it may have been through the Experimental Cuisine Collective. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it's something I really, really enjoy doing a lot. And you know, it gets me to know. Um, people, it's like a radio show right it gets it, it allows me to meet people that I wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. otherwise talk to or to have a, a bigger conversation than just interviewing a chef or um, just eating at their restaurant and um, it's all I don't know it's just yeah it's really fun and um, really you're really excited. good at it. I mean I yeah I feel in our industry
2: in New York uh, I think of you as like the go-to moderator you know you've done a lot of Clintro panels. No, you're great you're great you're so. Um, yeah, you're, you, you do so much. So how do you balance all of this?
1: Uh, not very well.
2: <laughs> well, I, apparently you do because you've been doing all of these jobs for, for a few years, basically.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- the sort of easy answer is, um, and that's an answer that my husband both loves and hates, I think is, uh I'm just very lucky to be doing something that I really love and to be working in an industry that is, that I, that is so passionate and that I just love being even on the fringes a part of. So the downside of it in a way is that it, it's an industry that never stopped because if you go out to dinner, even if it's my anniversary dinner, some of it I'm thinking about, oh, this is so fantastic and, you know, it's inspiring me and mm-hmm. it's, it's fueling my creativity, not just my stomach, um, so that, that's a big part of it. It's, it's really easy to just work a lot when you're passionate about it. Uh, I'm not clocking out. It's not that I hate what I do, so it's, four, it's 5 o'clock on Friday, and I'm so happy I don't have to think about it again until Monday morning. I mean, that's all I think about and all I do. Um, and I, I definitely have a workaholism problem otherwise, and uh, I don't need much sleep, and I drink too much coffee.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot of similarities. Yes, we do. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to take another break here. We're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the, in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Anne McBride. It's time for my speed round game. I'm going to name two things and you pick your preference. All right. You ready? I am. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Tasting menu or a la carte? Oh, tasting menu small plates or large plates small plates tipping or all inclusive charge
1: all inclusive
2: uh-huh. aha
1: <laughs> i'm from switzerland remember
2: <laughs> <laughs> well it's i think answers are starting to change on my show it used to always be tipping like the first mm-hmm. 50 episodes <laughs> um no uh interesting okay if you- communal table or chef's counter chef's counter directing writing moderating or
1: teaching all of it too
2: (laughs) yes you can have all of it but my (laughs) my father who's listening, is deducting a point he takes this game very seriously
1: i'm sorry mr (laughs) (laughs) Bate.
2: no problem i i always say i don't have (laughs) rules how about experimental cuisine or traditional cuisine
1: I want to phrase that differently. Sorry again, Mr. Bayer. Um, (laughs) Experimental ways to think about cuisine. So it's not necessarily that um, I would put technologically, you know, like if you think of experimental as modernist. No, I want to think about the framework of experimental. And so this idea of always looking for ways to, ultimately what it is, it's always looking for ways to be better at what you do. So I'm, I'm interested in that. But I also very much love... Um, traditional foods and there's something about the repetition of doing the same thing every day for example if you're a taco vendor that uh, is really admi- admirable and there's a lot to learn from that too So, Impressive
2: explanation <laughs> A few more Lyric Opera House or Avery Fisher Hall or David H. Koch Theater
1: Oh that's a tough one uh, Well you know what The Ly- Lyric Opera House and the hospitality in Chicago for the Beard Awards was amazing so I'm going to go with that one Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Oh, I'm losing so many points, but all of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Dessert, I, ultimately dessert. Sh- I love the crate uh, Cheese plate is great, and it showcases amazing artisanship from, and craftsmanship from cheesemakers, but um, I would always pick the work of seeing what the work of the pastry chef is over, over that. Got it.
2: Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Jersey? giving the whole state of jersey.
1: Um, hmm, that's a tough one, too. Probably, I mean, I think Manhattan. Sorry, Brooklyn. I'm
2: a Manhattan girl, so <laughs> no worries. Okay, great. That was the game. Awesome. Liked it. So let's talk some industry news. Now, the big happy fun news this week, we had the James Beard Awards, and you and I were there in Chicago. And it's hard to believe it was just two days ago, the awards ceremony at the Lyric Opera House. And this was a big deal for Chicago because this was the very first time that the Beard Awards were not in New York City. And Chicago really went all out to to welcome us and uh, throw a lot of parties. And it was, it was exciting. Uh, the awards... There are so many, there's so many to talk about, uh, but New York City, New York did really well. Uh, Batard came out with Best New Restaurant, uh, and I'm friendly with those, those guys. Jonathan Winterman and Marcus Glocker and Drew Nieperent, uh, very happy for them. So that was one. But
1: what was, uh, what was your take on some of this? It's always a really great evening, and... Um we're having that conversation on Facebook with um, some other people who were there. Uh, You know, it's it's long to sit through the award ceremony, but everyone who's there really it's such an important moment for anyone who's nominated and then of course anyone who wins it. It's such a celebration of the industry by the industry which is really important um, It's the, yes there's one person on stage but it ultimately really celebrates so much so many sacrifices so much hard work that has gone to making that person uh, who she or he is um, and so I really really love that part of it the the, the celebration that moment um, that rewards people who really really deserve it.
2: I agree, and I have to say it is a long a long ceremony, but I was sitting in my seat and I have had these moments where I was just smiling and feeling so lucky to be a part of this group and to know many of the presenters and to even just just be in the same room of everyone and to be a part of the industry community and it made me feel I was telling Jack, my engineer, before the show, like this is why I do my show. Like I love the industry. This is why I came up with this show, mm-hmm. and and it was just I love hearing the speeches. And most people do thank their teams because they know it it, it takes a lot of people to run a restaurant and to get uh, those accolades. It's not just um, one person doing them, themselves. And I thought the ceremony too. It was they did some fun videos uh, that that whatever that chef whisper. <laughs> that was great. Um, and
1: and it was it was it was a great it was a great evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was beautiful, really beautiful, and just um, you know when you hear people like Michel Nichon who won Humanitarian of the Year or Blaine Wetzel Best Chef in the Pacific Northwest, and they spend their their speech time Thanking other people In the industry I think that's really All you need to know In terms of These people who are really Someone like Michel Nichon, For example I mean he He was a celebrity chef And now he Worries and, and works towards feeding hundreds of thousands of people who can't afford the most basic of foods on a daily basis. And that's what he's dedicating his work on and his life. That's and that's so inspiring. I mean, this is what I think, I mean, this is a very generous industry. And I think a lot of um, chefs, most chefs, are looking at doing those types of things. But here is someone who's really made a fundamental career change. Uh, and just that it, it's an important reminder that we need to have day in and day out of how can we make the world ever the slightest better. Then we found it, and uh,
2: he's he's amazing. I was I also loved the speech that Richard Melman gave the Lifetime Achievement Award, and I wrote down one of the things he said. He said, "How to surround yourself with good people," uh, and he said, "You can't make a bad deal with a good person and a good deal with a bad person." I thought that was cool. That's
1: important. <laughs> it's a good
2: good good lesson. It's no.
1: probably a lesson he's learned the hard way. Yeah,
2: probably. <laughs> um, but just to go through some of the other awards, so New York City really did do well. Um, outstanding ba- Baker Jim Leahy, Outstanding Chef Michael Anthony, Outstanding Pastry Chef Christina Tosi, Outstanding Restaurant Blue Hill at Stone Barns, and for the best new she- best chef category in New York City, uh, Mark Ladner got it for the Posto. Um, Chicago got the Outstanding Bar Program for the Violet Hour, and their out- Outstanding Restaurant Tour went to Donny. Medea and we had dinner at Blackbird which is one of their restaurants they have a lot of restaurants they do. <laughs> so it was I mean it was the, I could go on and on I was hap- so happy for so many people you had Aaron Frankel won uh, for best chef in the southwest and I think that was the first time a barbecue type place chef won that award um, showing the sh- change in our industry and Alon Shea for Dominica and New Orleans so it was really exciting evening uh, except, <laughs> not the best segue, but we have to talk about my other news here. Which, so, it was a very emotional evening because the the this, the the awards part came out, and then we were all in the reception, and slow by slow, uh, it started to go around between people that Josh Ozerski passed away, and we saw him the night before at Chef's Night Out. He is a. Uh, he's he's a, a huge personality in our industry and a prolific food writer he's written he's written many uh his first book that came out was meet me in manhattan he's bluntly was bluntly opinionated and uh loved by some not loved by everyone but a huge part of our industry and a huge loss for our industry and i'm still I still fully haven't digested the news. Um, I like Josh a lot.
1: Yeah, I still can't believe it. I mean, he he was on the awards committee also, which is why he was in Chicago, one of the reasons why he was in Chicago. And um, he was supposed to have been in our wrap-up meeting yesterday morning. And it, it was really, really hard to walk into that room and know that we had lost a voice who was never ever afraid and you know in in that particular context but clearly in any context never ever afraid of telling it like it is and he sometimes said things just for the sake of provocation and and to create a a discussion around it and that's one way to do it and I think he's, he's the one person who was really able to create these conversations because he did what he did very seriously and he's an i mean i was just rereading a bunch of his pieces this morning he's he was such an amazing writer um whether it was about um i don't know grilled cheese or his father just such a um a multi-layered way of talking about food and about life and just a re- beautiful, passionate writer. And whether you agreed with him or not, I think that's the one thing that's been coming out from anyone who's paying tribute to him is that there's a recognition of the, the kind of person he was and what he did for our industry and for food writing that it'll take a long time to replace, and, or not, not replace clearly, but to uh, have another voice like his coming, on the, uh, c- coming out. Yes, and he
2: did. Uh, I mean, he was an amazing writer. He he also started Metopia, which I've mentioned on this show before. How, like, I met Pat Lafrida at his Metopia event when it was only industry, and since it became this huge uh, national international event uh, associated with NYC Food and Wine Festival and South Beach Food and Wine. Um, He's 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 done a lot, and he's uh, he puts himself out there, and uh, yeah, I'm. I guess I'm still talking in the present tense because I, I I haven't really fully accepted it. He was 47. Uh, we don't know yet uh, the reason. Um, the last he was seen was at 4 a.m. karaokeing, <laughs> and um, in a sense, though it feels I don't know a little. I don't know what the right word is, if it's fitting that we were all together when we heard this news. Um, But I think the whole industry, including myself, is just really sad and shocked. And um, we'll miss Josh. We will. Okay, so stay with us. uh, We're going to take one more break. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. So this is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is brought to you by our friends at One House Hospitality Headhunters, who you can follow on Facebook. They are also on Twitter at one underscore house and on Instagram at one house and house is spelled H-A-U-S. Okay, so this week, my solo dining is on Chevalier, which is at the new Baccarat Hotel here's the rundown. The lo- the location, 20 West 53rd Street in Midtown Manhattan. The concept, named after Baccarat's beloved, longtime creative director Chevalier, is an enchanting reinvention of the classic Parisian brasserie. The host, uh, or the chef and host, executive chef Chez Galanti, formerly of Crew, restaurant director Charles Maison of La Grenouille. Why did I go? Because this ritzy new place was sure to deliver. My experience. On a recent Friday night on the later side, I stepped into this elegant brand new restaurant. There were only a few people in the bar and lounge area, and I took a seat at the bar. Two veteran bartenders waited on me, both seeming a bit unsure of what to do with me. (laughs) Uh, I think I was the first person to dine at the bar solo but they and I got through it and it was very enjoyable. After dinner, I took a look around the hotel's upstairs bar and lounge, which is quite lovely, and I would definitely return to it. Now, what did I get? So, the menu, there's two options for two or three courses. I went with two courses. I had the diver scallops with morel, comte, and shallot marmalade, and the black sea bass filet with warm asparagus salad and sauce ravago. My take. Both dishes were beautifully presented, delicate and delicious. The filet was served table-side, or bar-side, as the server presented it in first in its cooking vessel before plating it. This was a first at the bar. The scene, sophisticated couples and friends, perfect for people with refined pellets and thick wallets. Interesting tidbit, it was announced a few days ago that Charles Maison has actually left Chevalier after a month. His future plans are unknown. Personal fun fact, I ran into legendary cake designer Sylvia Weinstock as she was leaving dinner in the main dining room, and I had met her at a La Dame Escoffier salon event a few years ago. The cost, $74, not including tax and tip. Would I go back? Someone wants to take me to dinner? Anytime. Website, baccarathotels.com. So that is that. Now, it's time for the final question. So, Anne, next week I'm having on Tony Abuganen. He is the original modern mixologist. He is based in Vegas. He's a really cool guy. Um, do you know Tony?
1: I don't think we've ever met, but I've heard him speak before and I'm familiar with his work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. So, can you ask him a question? I have many, but I think I'm going to ask him, um, which U.S. city has the most exciting cocktail scene right now, and what makes it so? Great question. So I can plan my next trips.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, there's a motive. (laughs) You know, always. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so
1: much. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you.
2: Yes, and it was fun being in uh, Chicago with you as well. It was. So I've been talking to Anne McBride. She is the Culinary Program and Editorial Director for the Strategic Initiatives Group at the Culinary Institute of America. She is also the Director at the Experimental Cuisine Collective. Their website is experimentalcuisine.com. Her personal website, potsandplumes.com. You can find her on social media at Anne McBride. And there's at CIA Culinary. My social media. At Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry, at Heritage underscore Radio. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website's BayerPublicRelations.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at network.org. We are on Stitcher and iTunes. Also, we are in the final stretch of our website rebuild project for Heritage Radio Network on Kickstarter. Now, so we're close to our goal, so please consider becoming a backer. We would really greatly appreciate it. Thanks always to my engineer, Jack. Thanks to my guest, Anne, and all of you out there. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.
3: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.